Well, bless you this morning. We, uh, Pastor Brian is down south visiting um, his family as well as Pastor James. Uh, my name is Gunther. I'm one of the pastors here as well, in case you're visiting. Um, we're going to continue the series that we've been doing, which is the Holy Spirit in prayer uh, this morning. And I realize that maybe when you hear the subject of prayer, uh, maybe you, your first thought is, oh, no, <laughs> not, not another message on prayer or how I have to be more to pray more or be more disciplined. I want you to feel a sense of relief that that's not where we're going this morning. Um, love and desire is the father of true discipline. Let me explain that. We love God because God first loved us. We seek God because he looked for us first. True prayer in all its forms is initiated and empowered and empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. True spiritual discipline comes as a result of the fruit of our relationship with him. Paul in Galatians said this. He says, the fruit of the Spirit, and this is life in the Spirit of God, the fruit of the Spirit is love. And as he lists other qualities of the fruit of the Spirit, the last one he mentions is a spirit of self-control or a spirit of discipline. That's a fruit. That's not an action that we try to perform outside of the Spirit of God. In another place, Paul encourages his son in the faith, Timothy, by saying, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power and of love and of a disciplined mind. Again, indicating to us that it's by the power and the presence of of the Spirit of God within us that produces that. We see, as we read in the Scriptures, the early disciples and the writers of the New Testament praying and serving so much because they heard and saw so much of God. Even Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith, lived, spoke, and was directed by what he heard and saw through prayer by the Holy Spirit. Check that out. Look at that. So this morning, let's see the Holy Spirit's perspective of prayer and how he prays so that we might be encouraged by this. We see throughout Scripture that there's a constant communication between heaven and earth and earth and heaven with the Holy Spirit. In what's commonly called the Old Testament, the invisible presence of God would come upon certain individuals at different times, and then those individuals would either speak the word that they heard to others or respond back to God in prayer or praise or different expressions back to God. But now through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, the blood that shed, and by receiving him, the Holy Spirit has been poured out by Jesus on all peoples around the planet. And so we see this communication from heaven to earth and earth to heaven through millions and millions of people around the planet. How we can see this in a better light is think of the Internet. Think media. Right now, there are invisible microwaves moving throughout this room as well as radio and television transmissions, correct? Without that, a receiver, you don't, it's invisible. You wouldn't know that. But let's say you go home today after, let's say you guys go home and you want to watch the U.S. Open. You're going to turn on your TV, dial the right channel, 
and you're going to enter into something that's already going on right now. Or let's say you go home, you go onto your Facebook page or whatever, you're entering into a conversation that's already going on 24-7 around the world. It works the same in the spiritual realm. God is constantly communicating from heaven to earth and from earth to heaven through the Holy Spirit is going on. He simply asks that we join in to that conversation. And that is the basis for what prayer and everything else goes with that. So let's look at our first slide here. And these are certain just different expressions throughout the Scripture, expressions of prayer. For instance, intercessions, which is a asking for on the behalf of someone else for their benefit. Singing, which we did earlier. We sang certain prayers. We sang praise. Petitions, which is just simple asking God for things. Thanksgiving, which is the ability whether you wake up this morning, you had a hot shower, you thank God for the hot water that came out of that spigot. Most of the world doesn't have that when you think about it. That's amazing. Or you, thank, you just thank God for the fact of that you have food in the refrigerator. Or you just thank God that God has answered your prayers. Either one of these are expressions of prayer to Him. Praise, supplication, adoration. When we, when we recognize the beauty and the power of who He is, we just fall in love with Him. We adore Him. All of these expressions are an act of worship to the living God. And these actions are out of response to what we see or hear about Him and His nature. All of the words that are up there connotate some form, though, of humbling, submission, or recognition of one greater than ourselves. These are expressions of worship. So let's look at the next slide And let's define what that word means, worship, in the Scriptures, especially in the Greek. The meaning about worship is to bow down, to kneel before, to kiss the hand of one. Maybe you've seen, uh, you know, in in certain movies or or around the world where, you know, there's a king or a potentate and there's a bowing down and kissing of the hand. That's the connotation, that's the imagery of what worship is to God. It's a recognition of one, and the expressions of prayer are the act of response to the view of this king, this one who is living. This morning when we sang, you know, how was our hearts when we did that? Were we just doing it as a religious act? You see, the Lord wants us to be able to respond, not initiate out of a religious need to somehow search for God. There's a big difference, and we'll explain as we go through this. True worship in the Scriptures, in the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, was required wherever the presence of God resided. And where He resided in the Old Covenant was with His people Israel, but was at either a tabernacle in the wilderness or later in the temple, which was in Jerusalem. But when Jesus came, He literally embodied the very presence of God. And when the religious leaders demanded of him a sign that he was the Messiah, he said this. He said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Now, the religious leaders said, because they were thinking of the temple in a physical sense, 
He said, this temple in Jerusalem took 40 years to build. And you're saying that if it's destroyed, you'll raise it up in three days? That's impossible. But John, the writer is recording these words, said that Jesus was speaking about his physical body and what would happen when he died and was resurrected, that he would raise his own body. What God was changing was the perspective of where God was and where he was going to live at this moment. There was a transition between an old covenant and an old agreement and a new one. In John chapter 4, Jesus was speaking with a woman by a well, and he was drawing her to himself. And at some point, she recognizes that there's something spiritual about him. So she asks, Us Samaritans worship here on this mountain. You Jews say that we should worship in Jerusalem. What's correct? And Jesus initially says, Look, true worship is of the Jews, and you're not sure who you worship. But then he says an astounding statement. He says, But the hour is coming here in John 4.23, and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Now, the word truth here means genuine worshipers, and worshiping in truth means worshiping in reality. God was defining a change of what real worship and response to God would look like and how that would be. With Jesus representing where God dwells, and later, as he was resurrected, and he poured out the Holy Spirit upon the disciples, all the people who followed Jesus, his people became the temple, and worshiping God in reality and genuineness can be done anywhere and any time. Maybe you were raised in a place where you knew where God was. You'd go to a certain building, and that's where God showed up, and that's where you worship. But then when you left that building, the thought of God being around or near became something very foreign. But the reality now in this new covenant is that the Holy Spirit now dwells in every single believer on this planet. So when you gather in this setting or you gather in a home or you gather at a, a, a community group later or however, you are able to worship, pray, praise, adore anywhere, anytime. God has brought us, cut asunder this dividing line. So with that truth, with that you know, opening thing here, how does the Spirit cause us to enter into this ongoing communication that's going on between earth and heaven. Letting us know what his heart and mind is. I want to go to a scripture in in 1 Corinthians, chapter 2. And if you've got your Bible, you can read that or you can watch this up on the slide. Paul is quoting an Old Testament scripture talking about how mankind does not comprehend what God is like. And he says... What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Now Paul changed and he said, these things that he just wrote about, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. 
For the Spirit searches everything, even the very depths of God. Now, we, meaning the church, meaning the disciples, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. What Paul is saying here is that what cannot be perceived or understood naturally by the natural man The deepest understanding of God, of who he is, the depths of who God is, is revealed to us through the presence of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us and upon us. See, the Father is in heaven. Jesus has ascended to the right hand of the Father and is in heaven. But the Spirit of God is here on earth and lives in you and me. Paul contrasts here the spirit of the world and the spirit who is from God. And what Paul is conveying here in the use of the term the spirit of this world means this. World in the sense of the order or arrangement of the present condition of human affairs in this age on this planet. What that looks like is this striving after to take Whatever you see and desire and grab it for yourself. Look for the highest position of power and influence and that will give you recognition. That is some of the essence of the spirit of this world. But Paul says we've received a different spirit. God himself, who is holy and separate and shows you and I a totally different order of humility. Beauty, power, marvelous plans that will last for all eternity when this temporary world passes away. As we are so deeply impressed and overcome by the Spirit's revelations that he talks about here, each one of us has this opportunity. Every one of you in this room the Holy Spirit wants to continue to reveal the depths of God to you. There isn't one person in this room that has not bowed their knee to Jesus, that the Holy Spirit dwells and lives in, that doesn't have this desire to show you these things. As he reveals and impresses you with these revelations, we begin to adore God. We intercede for his plans to come to pass when we learn about them. We pray in trust And obey him because we know him more and more. And we know his heart and his mind and we respond accordingly. So love and desire for what he loves overcomes our love for this present world. Those things that he hates, injustice, poverty, death, sickness. We begin to hate those things and we begin to act on his behalf by his power to do those things. Does that make sense? Spiritual disciplines become fruit in our lives because we follow and live in him. Doing spiritual discipline, doing spiritual disciplines are never the currency that bring you into acceptance with God or earn the love of God. That has already been done for you And the fruit of spiritual discipline comes out of knowing and seeing him. Notice the language in the next slide here, which gives us some scriptures in Ephesians and Jude about 
being in the Spirit. In Ephesians 6.18, we went through the book a few months ago. Paul is encouraging the believers. He says, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And then in Jude one twenty through 21, he says this, But you, beloved, you're beloved, building yourself up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. The language and the picture that we need to grasp and understand that you are in a person. You are energized by the power of that person that dwells in you. And by praying in him, we are simply joining in to the communication that's already going on. It's an act that becomes a natural outflow of your relationship with him. So we're going to do a little exercise in line with this of worshiping or praying in the Spirit by doing something that the church has done for centuries, which is praying by using His revealed word and desire. Let's go to the next slide. This is where we get to practice. Ephesians 1, 17 and 19 is a prayer that Paul prayed for the Ephesians. But this is born out of the Holy Spirit revealing this to Paul, and he begins to pray this. So he's asking God... In verse 17, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ to give them spiritual wisdom and insight so that they might grow in the knowledge of God. He says, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope that he's given to those he's called, his holy people, who are rich, who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray, he says, that you would understand the incredible greatness of God's power Towards us who believe him, this is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. So, with that prayer that's up there, I'd like you to pray this for someone else. Using this words. And do it silently. We're not going to do it out loud. But I'd like you to do this silently. I'd like you to pray this for a family member. Maybe pray this for a roommate. Maybe pray for your boss. That would be a new one, wouldn't it? Pray for anybody that you'd like by praying this prayer, okay? So let's take a couple minutes, two, three minutes, and let's do that, okay? What you just did 
was praying in the Spirit's desires and hopes. You can take every part of Scripture, whether it be the Psalms, other prayers, and you can pray them and praise and worship adore by this because this is the revealed heart and mind and desires of God. And this becomes something that the, 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 the church has done for centuries. It's a simple act of doing this, but it, you will find as you practice doing this a real empowerment. God will give you words. God will give you insights as you pray for other people using this or praise by using the scriptures. It's a wonderful, wonderful way. I want to look at another aspect of prayer and praise and worship in the Holy Spirit that is controversial, but only because it challenges our understanding. Going back a little bit to the truth of where God dwells now on this earth, which is where? Good deal. There you go. Paul, in the letter to the Corinthians, both in chapters 2 and 6, spoke about this again. He says, you, speaking to the corporate body there at Corinth and representing all disciples, said, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Whoever destroys the temple of the Holy Spirit, speaking of persecutions, God himself will destroy That's how precious you as a group of people are, is that you as a corporate group of people, the Spirit of God is here and He dwells in you, and you are precious to Him. Later on in 1 Corinthians 6, when he's talking about this temptation to be drawn to idols, whether in sexual impurity or other forms of idolatry, and he actually uses the word about being joined to demons, he says to individuals, who are doing this, he says, don't you understand that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, meaning individuals? Now, you may get the corporate idea that God dwells here and dwells in you as a people, but sometimes that personalization that the Spirit of the living God, the God who made the entire universe, is pleased to live inside of you. Now, maybe you feel a sense of guilt and shame I, I can't believe that. I can't accept that. Understand something. Yes, the Scripture says that God hates sin. God cannot look upon sin. But remember the price and payment for sin He judged in His own Son. So that in His Son that He has taken away that guilt and shame permanently, God is pleased to dwell in you. And He doesn't just take flight when something goes wrong. He stays and remains with you and in you. I hope that encourages you. I hope you grab a hold of that. And by that presence of God, the, the, the very indwelling presence, that's what keeps us, as we'll see later, from living to the desires of our flesh rather than living to the desires of God. But in 1 Corinthians 12, he was wants to correct the corporate worship. There were things going on in corporate worship that were causing divisions, causing problems, causing, causing many, many hurtful things to go on. And he was talking especially in, in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 about the difference between prophecy and tongues. Now, in a few weeks, we'll go over prophecy and tongues specifically, but this, just for this morning, Paul was drawing a distinction between 
worshiping corporately and worshiping in your own home, worshiping privately. So let's look at this verse in, in 1 Corinthians 14. And in the midst of teaching the difference between these two, he says, For if I pray in a tongue or an unknown language, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. This idea of praying or praising in an unknown language should not freak us out. Because we're speaking by the energy and the gifting of the Holy Spirit that fills and inspires our spirit. It might be offensive to our natural mind. So Paul was fine to go either way. I can, I can pray in an unknown language even though my mind doesn't understand, but I'll pray with my mind also like we just did right now, praying according to the Scriptures. We sang in a normal language that we all understood. We sang this morning. But in private, you can sing in an unknown language by the gifting and the power of the Holy Spirit. In fact, Paul was very thankful that he prayed and worshipped in other languages, if you read the rest of the chapter there. And he wished that all the Corinthian disciples did so as well. If this is something that intrigues you, ask God to give you that gift. I can say personally for myself, I've done this for years. It's a wonderful time of being able, especially when I don't know what to pray, to be able to ask in an unknown language and know that God hears because it's being prompted by His Spirit. Or singing. I mean, I can't carry a tune. I, you put a gun to my head and I would, you'd have to shoot me because it sounds so terrible. But the point is I can sing with my spirit and God accepts that and that makes me happy. You know, I'll never be a worshiper up on the band or BV vocals like my daughter is. But anyway, so let's finish up now with more of the Spirit's perspective on intercession through us as His people. And I'd like to go to the book of Romans. So if you turn your Bibles to there, and we'll look at some scriptures as well up on the screen. The book of Romans is an incredible book, probably my my favorite letter uh, in the New Testament. And the book of Romans, uh, especially 6, 7, and 8, Paul talks about the difference about being condemned in the flesh, living in the flesh, and also being able to live in the Spirit. And finally, in Romans 8, where he culminates this, and I'd encourage you to read uh, Romans 6, 7, and 8, but we're going to just pick out some verses here that will help us to understand what the Holy Spirit is doing in intercession and how he works through us on this. So it's important as we look at the first few verses here in Romans 8. He says very clearly to us as his people, he says, There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Now this is really important that we understand this. I'm sure you're aware of the law of gravity. So we're going to use the law of gravity as a form of what the law of sin and death does. All of you are subject to the law of gravity. Over the years, as you get older like myself, you get some shrinkage that goes on. You might get some drooping. You might get some sagging. No matter how young and supple you are now, trust me, gravity will have the effect on you at the end. You cannot escape that. 
I know I'm encouraging you. I can see it on your faces. So, the law of sin and death, this is you and I under the law of gravity. We're dead. However, in Christ Jesus, he says the spirit, the law of the spirit of life has set you free. We can use now another law. What is another law that supersedes the law of gravity? Let's say you're in a plane or a jet. What's the laws that supersede the law of gravity? This is not rhetorical. You can answer because I, I don't have language for it sometimes. Thrust. That's one law. What's another one? Lift. Thank you. Aerodynamics. All of these laws supersede the law of gravity. And as long as power is applied and thrust is applied, you are held above the law of gravity, correct? The good thing to know that the spirit who dwells in you never runs out of power to keep you from the law of sin and death. You are eternally free. And he says, if you walk in the spirit and are led by the spirit, you will be free from the law of sin and death. As you read ongoing verses here, he talks about this contrast about living to the desires of your old nature which are held subject to death and destruction, or living according to the desires of the Spirit within you, which bring life, freedom, and peace. You see, we have a free will choice, but God has revealed this to us so that we can live in freedom. In fact, he says in verse 9, he says, here's the truth. You are, however, not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. Now, if you're in this room or listening on this MP3 and you have never bowed your knee to Jesus as a Savior and Lord, this is just a fact of life. We were all born to die. We were all born condemned and separated from God. But God, who is rich in his mercy, revealed Jesus to us. We heard the message, the word of the gospel, and we responded that we needed a Savior to be rescued. And from that point on, the Holy Spirit came and dwelled in us, and we now have the Spirit of Christ. So he goes on to say in verse 11, If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit that dwells in you. He's talking about the future resurrection of these bodies and being freed from mortality to be swallowed up in immortality. That's a wonderful freedom. Let's go to the next slide. So as Paul progresses in this, he begins to talk about what the Holy Spirit does in us through adoption. If you're led by the Spirit of God, in verse 14, you are sons of God. Now, he uses this in a generic term in regard that Jesus was a son, you are also sons. But he's also saying this in a sense of sons and daughters. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. 
How appropriate today for Father's Day. The Father says, you're mine. You're my daughter. You're my son. And that spirit of adoption comes into us and our spirits respond by going, oh yes, Father, Daddy is the word Abba, by the way, there. Now that's a very tender term, isn't it? When we think about our walk in Christ, yes, let us have a full mind of understanding. But if we intellectualize our walk in Christ without understanding the emotional aspect that God uses in words like love, joy, peace, patience, when he says, you have received a spirit that says adoption, and you're a son and daughter, and we cry, yes, daddy. Those are, would you say those are emotional responses? If you have not been able to understand that the Spirit witnesses, as he says in verse 16, with your spirit that you're a child of God, this is a gift God wants to give you. To where your heart cries, oh yeah, I understand that you're my father. You see, the Holy Spirit of adoption wants us to understand our place and position. So let's go on to the next slide here. So this leads up to a place, what we call the intercession of the Spirit in Romans 8. And up to this point in verse 23, he talks about creation. If you read a few verses before, he's talking about how creation was subject to to sin and death and destruction. And that creation groans to be delivered, to be freed from this by the redemption that God brings. And Paul brings this to ourselves. And he says, but not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And so sometimes you, you may have felt this like, oh, this humanity, the weakness of my humanity. It just weighs on me. I, 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 would, I would wish that I was freed from that. Well, that is what's going on inside of you. That's a natural result. And so we wait to see these bodies redeemed and, to, and, to, and as Paul says in the book of Philippians, that he will remake these mortal bodies like the glorious body of the Lord Jesus when he was raised from the dead. So you, you know what you're going to look like. You look good now, you'll look even better when redemption comes. So he says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Now, that seems very odd, doesn't it? That the Holy Spirit would groan. Wait a minute. That, that, that just blows me away. That doesn't compute. Well, think about this. When we see God having personality traits of jealousy, anger, love, He sings over us, it says in Zechariah. He has joy over his children. Aren't those all emotional words? Remember, we're created in the image of God. Every one of us has a full range of emotions. We're only representing of who he is. We're in the image of God. So in this case, the Holy Spirit is making intercession for you and I. In fact, he says... 
He who searches the heart, meaning God, knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So in our weakness, in this life, when we are under trials and tribulations and pains and distresses and this crushing that can go on in our lives and we have nothing left and we don't even know what to pray, what to ask, what to seek for, the Holy Spirit is already doing that for us. He is literally going between our inability and God and saying, yes, this is what I want for you, for you, for you. He's saying, I want to do this. And he does that with great power because you are sons and daughters, because he wants to give us liberty, because he has set us free from the law of sin and death. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. And and how this might feel for you and I when we can't even utter something, but we feel this, this deep groaning, this deep, this deep emotion that's going on. I liken it to, uh, are anybody surfers in this room? Surf? Okay. You know what it's like when you catch a big wave. I mean a big wave. Not the, not the three-foot overheaders. I'm talking about a ten-foot overheader. And the power between that wave and the smaller wave, you just, it comes and you're just, you're carried by it. And the emotion that you're feeling is like, man, I pray I don't fall off. I know, I'm going to die. You know? And you see these big wave riders that are riding those 50, 60 footers up there on Northern California coast up there near Monterey. What is that? What's that called? Mavericks, right. The power that's going on beneath that surfer is just tremendous, and they feel it. That's similar to what can wrestle with your heart and your spirit. When the spirit... When in our weakness, we're, we're groaning. He's groaning. And he's laboring for us. And we feel that within us, though we may not perceive it completely. But because the Holy Spirit knows what the will of the Father is and what is best for us, because as we read a little further in Romans, we read that verse that says, For God works out all things to our good to those who love God and those who are called according to His purpose. That's where all these verses come together. That's where we, we are kept in the love of God despite all sorts of persecutions because the Spirit prays for us and intercedes and dwells in us and keeps us and moves us on. So when we enter into this communication by revelation of all that God says and does, we are simply responding to what we see here and then we do accordingly. Does that, does that seem a little clear? Does that maybe give you a sense of freedom in your prayer life, in your worship life, that it's not dependent on you to initiate and to somehow draw up this, you know, you can draw up Bible reading verses. You can do a program. That's all great. But understand that the impetus and the power to pray, to worship, to, uh, to adore comes from seeing and hearing and responding to what the Spirit of God reveals to us. And He wants us to enter into that. He wants us to be drawn into that. However, there is another side to this. Let's go up two slides there, Clay, if we could, to the last one. And I borrowed this from Pastor Brian from last week. It's God is interested in our investment and in the pursuit of him. Deuteronomy 4.29, seek the Lord and you'll find him if you search for him with all your heart. Lamentations, those who wait on him 
To the soul that seeks him, God is good to. Jeremiah 29, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. We labor under the constraints of an instant society. What do I mean by that? We have trouble if our pizza is five minutes late from the delivery guy. We hate the fact that we might have to wait for anything for what we want. This is, again, the spirit of the world. But God has given us a different spirit. However, when we're searching for the deep things of God, there is a process of waiting and searching and looking that he's asking us to respond to. If I was to give you a map of the hidden treasure in San Luis Obispo, if there was a hidden treasure of San Luis Obispo, but you had to spend a year off from work and you had to dig and labor and find it and search for it, but it meant $4 billion in your account, I would trust that most of you would probably go for that one because it was a sure thing. This wasn't a fake thing. This was a sure thing. So God, in Proverbs, talks about if you search for wisdom as if you would search for gold and silver, if you look for understanding as if it was the deepest rubies that you had to dig for, and as God is saying here, search for me, seek for me, wait for me, I will come, you will find me. That is our response of going, okay, I I need to die and grow. I need to be able to wait. I need to be able to search because he will do this. And the Spirit helps us to be able to do that. Is this doable? Is this, is, this, is this something we can respond to? Yes. God is asking us, wherever you're at right now, to enter in to a place of deeper, greater revelation of himself, to know his heart, to know his mind, to know his will, to know his desires, and to be able to respond to that. There isn't anybody in this room that's left out of that. There is no hierarchy in God's kingdom. You all have equal opportunity. You all have equal access. And God is calling you into this to join with him in these labors. That's a good deal, guys. That's a really good deal. Yeah, that's a good one. I like that. So, let's go to that last slide before that, if we could, there. Revelation. It's the last prayer in the Bible, by the way, that's recorded. This is at the end of Revelation, when we're seeing the culmination of God working on this earth and coming back to live on this earth. And as he's revealed this prophecy to John... John records this last thing. He says, in anticipation for the coming kingdom, he says, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and the bride, which is us, the bride of Christ, say this, come, and let the one who hears say, come. Because the Holy Spirit desires for the very physical presence of God in Jesus Because Jesus said, I would come again. As you saw me go, I'm going to come again. I will establish my rule and reign on this earth. 
the Holy Spirit and the bride, you and I say, come, please come, Lord Jesus. Establish, come, we're waiting for you. That is, a, that is a final prayer for you and I to enter in. So let's stand. And I'll have the band come up, the two guys. And again, understand, as much as we have read this morning, maybe you've been encouraged, maybe you've been touched by this, you, you have a desire to respond, this is our chance to do that. No matter where you might be in this process, there is always more, and He is welcoming us to come in, to enter into this communication, to this conversation to this prayer and praise and adoration that's going on 24-7 in the spiritual realm. So as you respond, know that God is accepting and receiving you on this. If you'd like prayer for any reason, if something's touched you this morning, you want somebody to pray for you, we'll have some people off to the side by the cross to just pray for you for any physical need, for any emotional need, anything that you want to respond to. But also, if you want to respond in communion with him, we have communion implements off to the sides and in the back that you can take communion with. God is willing. Are we? So let's respond.